For the past few weeks, we've been on a sermon series called What a Beautiful Name. And actually, it's not just a name, it's, it's the names, the names of Jesus. So many that each describe Jesus in another way. The, the Lamb of God, the Beloved, the I Am, the Bread of Life, the Light of the World. So many names. And each one gives us another glimpse into his character. Each one has a meaning. And you might know that a lot of our names have meanings originally. Um, they go back to maybe uh, something simple like uh, if you're a miller, you know, obviously you might have had a mill. If you're a baker, you might have, you know, maybe had an ancestor who baked. Um, I kind of looked into my name uh, and to find out what my first name meant. And um, I was really pleased to find out that my first name... Uh, means manly. Um, this is not a picture of me. However, however, if someone had chosen to take a picture of me at 11 or 12, this is exactly what I would have looked like. Um, because that is exactly the kind of unruly red hair that I had, cut stylishly in a bang all the way across, and the exact same glasses that I had. Those were very in. They were. They were in. Uh, in the 70s, you know. Um, but that, that, um, that is what my name means. Now, whether I live up to that, I guess I can't really say. Um, I certainly don't have the pecs like this guy. Uh, but definitely, um, that is a meaning that you could live up to or not. And you may have uh, some of your own um, meanings to your names. But today I want to talk about the name that Jesus lives up to. The one that he's given and the one that he earns. He is given the name Jesus and he earns what it means. What does it mean? Well, let's look at the story in which he was named. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. In Matthew's gospel, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. What does the name Jesus mean? It means Savior, the one who will save us from our sins. Yeshua is the Hebrew name. It's short for um, Yehoshua, which means God saves. God saves. Wow, that's quite a name to be given, but one that he, of course, lives up to. Of all the names that we would have for Jesus, the idea of Jesus being the Savior might be the one that we hold on to dearest because it's the one that most certainly impacts us because we know that we're in need of saving, if we're honest anyway. If we're honest, we realize that we are um, the prodigal sons and daughters, always getting ourselves into hot water. 
and always in need of a Savior to pull us out, to lift us up, to forgive us, to bless us, and to give us life. His life. He is the Savior. Now, generally speaking, we use the word Savior to talk about what we're going to get saved from. And that's a good use for the word, to get saved from. Like, um, to get saved, rescued from something. Delivered from something. Redeemed out of some pickle that we're in. But it's only half of the story. It, it's sort of like this. If, if you were uh, drowning and a lifeguard came out to save you, and, and saved you out of the water, but then left you on the shore to die without giving you mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, that's sort of like one half of the equation, right? I mean, you couldn't see that person bragging the next day to the newspapers, I saved that person. I got them right out of the water. I sure did, but they died. Well, that wasn't my job. I only had the first half. Jesus completes the concept of salvation. He completes it because he not only saves us from the trouble we're in, he saves us for a new and better life. He saves us for a new and better life. See, to me, if you're just looking to be saved from something, all you're asking to do is, I have fallen off track, put me back on this track. But is this track all that great? Is daily life, is the same old, same old, such a wonderful thing? Is that all it is? Um, I fall and I get put back on the same road to ruin? I get rescued from the water and then I get put on the shore only to drown on dry land. But if we only understand Jesus in that way, if we only understand salvation as being saved from, then we don't get to enjoy the full blessing of salvation. The full blessing of salvation is saved from and saved for. Let me, let me show you some examples of that. Saved from slavery. The, the fundamental story for the Hebrew people is that they were once slaves in Egypt and that God rescued them and, and took them out of Egypt. They were chased by Pharaoh and his armies, took them through the parted Red Sea. The sea swallows up their enemies and they are saved. Saved from slavery. But if you know the story, that was great. But now where are they? In the desert. In the desert, without food, without water, without any guidance. And doesn't that sound kind of like the life so many people live? Oh, yeah, sure. Saved from that, out of that frying pan. But aren't we just back in the fire again? The people of God were saved from their slavery. That was marvelous. But they were left in a desert from which they would wander for a whole generation. Jesus comes along to go one step further. Saved from the slavery of our lives, he saves us for real freedom, for true freedom, for a different kind of life than the life I'm living most of the time, and I'll dare say maybe the life that you might feel like you live. Do you feel free? Do you feel like 
um, you are living the best life that you can? Do you feel like you have your options open? Do you really feel that in day-to-day life, you're as free as a bird? I don't. I feel all the time constrained by all sorts of things that others think of me, that I think of myself, the limitations placed on me. I wasn't just saved from slavery so that I could live that life. I was saved from slavery so I could live a life of freedom. A life of freedom that, that has a whole different perspective. A life where every day someone can wake up and rejoice that they've been set free. What does that look like? I, I try to think about what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like people being mean all the time. It doesn't look like a place where everyone um, justifies being selfish. It doesn't look like a place where, where everybody sticks to their own kind and doesn't care about the rest. It doesn't look very much like the world that all too often that we live in. I'm fortunate to be here at a, a church where there's a school attached. We've got an early childhood school and an elementary middle school. Especially, it's nice to go and check out the early childhood school kids as they are, are playing. What a remarkable thing it is to see kids of different colors and different backgrounds, different places they come from in their lives. Some that are just learning to speak English and, and others who speak several languages. And what's funny is to see how they play together. Complete freedom. There are no boundaries. There's no walls between them. It's going to take them a few more years to learn that. I hope they never do. Jesus said, um, unless we enter the kingdom like a child. Not foolish innocence, but willing innocence. A willingness to live in a freedom where we can accept one another, care for one another, value one another, look out for one another. Where we can play together. Jesus said, I have come not to condemn the world, but to bring the world abundant life. More than we have. More than just getting back on track. A whole new level. We were saved from fear. I love how when the angels appear, the first thing they say is fear not. I guess they must be scary looking. Or maybe you're just not you know, expecting, yo, an angel. I wasn't really thinking that was going to happen today. Saved from fear, the people of God had many times where they experienced God saving them from the fear, uh, especially for them, of being uh, in difficult situations as a small, insignificant group of people. They were constantly in danger of being wiped out. We get through this desert, as I was speaking about earlier, and we're now ready to cross over into this wonderful thing that God has offered, a promised land. And there's going to be a new leader from Moses to Joshua. Interestingly enough, Joshua is just another way of saying Jesus, another way of saying Savior. Joshua is going to be a different kind of Savior. He's going to move them into the promised land. And they're all 
standing there looking at the promised land and noticing there are big, mean people already in the promised land. They already have the deeds and the titles. They already own it. And their knees are knocking. And Joshua says to them, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. This is what the Lord will do to all the enemies you're going to fight. But Joshua leads them in. He leads them past their fear. They're saved from their fear and given courage. But what happens next to them? A series of unending battles, of unending challenges, of unending obstacles. Even when they think they finally have the promised land, it's only for one, maybe two generations before it's gone again. Off to exile, not once, but twice. They were saved from fear. But Jesus came to do more than than save us from fear and set us up for the next round of things to be afraid of. He did more than just release us from the fear and then let us fight our battles. Instead, Jesus came along to save us for peace. He is called the Prince of Peace. The angels say, peace on earth, goodwill to men and women. Joshua went into the promised land with guns blazing. There will be no peace for those people. They'll never enjoy more than a fleeting moment of it. And that's the same thing for us. Even if we conquer our fears, we are still going to live in a world where life is one non, um, unending battle. I was hearing a report about a place that, that describes um, painfully what life is like, and that's Syria right now. I'm sure you've known the terrible civil war and strife in Syria and how that has not only cost uh, hundreds of thousands of lives, but, but hundreds and thousands, perhaps millions of people who have become refugees all over the Middle East and Europe, which has caused its own problems as well. I was hearing a report about um, one of the last remaining rebel strongholds today that, that's being bombed. And they had a live report there. And it was there when bombing was going off and you could hear the bombs. But what was worse is when the bombs were over and they could come out of their hiding and you could hear the screams. You could hear the cries of the children. And one of the women translated said these words, I don't know what to do. Everybody is fighting everybody. Can you imagine? Everybody is fighting everybody. You're thinking, sure, I just came from a family dinner. Everybody was fighting everybody. But in some ways, doesn't that describe life? Doesn't that describe not every moment of it, but, but far too many moments of it? Saved from fear is not enough. We need a Savior who brings us to a place right of peace, of true, real peace. You see, fear builds walls, but peace builds doors. He's the Prince of Peace, and so that is what he's come to bring to us. A peace, Paul says, that passes all understanding. How does it come? Well, usually it comes at great sacrifice. 
People have to stand for peace. They have to fight for peace. They have to die for peace. Or in this case, with the Prince of Peace, he has to go to the cross for our peace. Because it's there on the cross that we finally, finally have the key to peace. A love beyond all loves. A love that can forgive everything. I don't have that kind of love. But I have a Savior with that kind of love. And that's my only hope. That's the world's only hope. Saved from fear is great, but saved for peace. That should be the ultimate goal. This time of year, some of us need to be saved from sorrow. And I know some of you may be grieving this year, some losses, or this time of year reminds you of who's not at the table, who's not going to be sharing the holidays with you. That could be very painful, very difficult. And for some, it's even caused for them a a, a rift in their relationship with God. And that's understandable. Martha and Mary were were dear friends of Jesus, and, and their brother Lazarus was part of their group. But when Lazarus fell ill and they called for Jesus, Jesus didn't come, and, and Lazarus died. And when Jesus makes it there to, to, to be with the women, one of them says to him, if you were there, my brother wouldn't have died. If you were there, God, my husband, my baby, my neighbor. When the lights are bright this time of year, we can experience even more sorrow, especially when everyone's decking the halls and we don't feel like it. But Jesus says, listen, I wasn't there then, but I'm here now. Here now. He's here now. He's here with you. There in a manger. He will know all our sorrows, all our griefs. And he, Isaiah predicted, will bear them for us. And not only that, he won't simply um, dry our tears. That would be wonderful. That would be much better than a face full of tears. But in the book of Revelation, it says... There will be no more tears. One day there will be no more tears because God will be with his people. And what is it? The word? The name? God with us? Emmanuel. See, Jesus is the one who not only can save us from sorrow, but save us for joy, real, true, and lasting joy. Some of our neighbors have really decorated their homes, and so it's a little annoying as you're trying to get home because uh, people are driving very slowly alongside those um, homes, and you're trying to like, do I go around them? What do I do? And, and, and the one biggest display of all that we have, I, I'm a little chagrined by it. I, it's beautiful. I can't imagine the effort it goes into it, but I look in vain for any possible resemblance to a shepherd or an angel (laughs) or a wise man. Instead, I see, for some reason, Pooh wearing camouflage. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. 
you know what? I can even take an all-secular Las Vegas-style Christmas decorations. At least it's cheerful. But what do I do with the home after home after home after home in my neighborhood with not a light on? Maybe they're out of town. Maybe they lost someone and they can't bear to put the lights up. I'm not judging. But I know that I'm not looking forward to a couple weeks from now when all the lights come down and my neighborhood goes back to that boring, dark, gray. See, Jesus didn't just save us from our sorrows. He saved us for joy. A joy that doesn't end with this season, doesn't end with tonight, doesn't even end tomorrow afternoon, doesn't end ever. Because when Jesus came, he came for good. He will always be with us. In this life, you will have trials, he says, but I have overcome the world. And so we sing joy to the world. In a nation blessed to pursue happiness and make that a right for everyone, we have something even better, and it's called joy. Joy that pursues us and never lets go. Joy in Jesus the baby. Soon this will be over. Jesus in the season will have moved on. But what's good news for us is it's not over tomorrow. He's just born. He's going to grow up. He's going to show us the way. And he is going to be for us not just one who saves us from our predicaments, but saves us for a whole new life. Merry Christmas and and God bless you all. Amen.